This is where your story begins. I'm sorry I won't be there to see it. It's a lot to ask, but I don't want you to be sad that I'm gone. I want you to be amazed that any of us ever had a chance to be here at all. Good luck. Hello there, and welcome to episode 32 of the video game podcast, PlayStation Pals. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm joined by the Lewis to my Sam, John. John, we should record this in a bar. That would be awesome. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, but um, yeah, I, I think that the show would be... Uh, Audio might suffer a bit, but I know you and I would just be a little more loose, little. Uh, oh, we get really yeah, good at the end. A little more slap happy. I think I feel like we might laugh enough as it is, so maybe that would just be. Uh, maybe that was like the worst idea you've ever had. I don't know, but I'm I'm down to try. When when the podcast takes off and we can afford to build our own podcast room studio, it's gonna have a bar in it. So we'll. We just need a kegerator. Like I feel like if we if we can have a way to like have a. You know, our, our PlayStation Pals mugs, chalices, goblets, whatever we want. Yeah. And to be able to just reach over to the side, pour a tap, and have whatever you want to drink, that'd be... I might even put, like, Mountain Dew in mine, you know? Just to, <laughs> yeah. in the spirit of video games, in the spirit of, right. you know, being a full-blown nerd, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it, man. All right, yeah. Yeah, well, when the, when the podcast takes off, we'll, we'll do it. Uh I don't want to waste any time because I really want to talk about HBO's The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are saving it for the sixth thing, so there will be no spoilers till the very end. So let's just move right into it. I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm wearing my Xbox shirt. I mean, <laughs> I'm ready to talk PlayStation. He is literally wearing an Xbox shirt. Yeah, who, who bought this for me, though? <laughs> As a joke! Yeah, well, it was still purchased by the guy sitting across the table from me, so you know, I'm not going to disrespect my friend by not wearing his, his gifts. <laughs> All right, let's go. This is how it works. We each bring three things to talk about. It can be a video game we're playing. It can be a news article. It can be a topic. It can be an email to PlayStationPalsPod at gmail.com or a Twitter DM at PSPalsPod. Any of those things, we bring it and we talk about it. You're feeling it today, aren't you, bud? I'm, I'm caffeinated up. I got my Mountain Dew uh, pitch black in me. Perfect. New new flavor. It only out. took one day to be on the shelves for us to get <laughs> us to get it in here. So my Mountain Dew uh, joke is maybe a little more apt than I thought. <laughs> it's not beer, but right. it'll do. Uh, but uh, nor, I'm going to kick things off with normally we talk about the DEFCON level because we're you know inching closer and closer to uh, this PSVR 2 and we think that there's going to be a state of play or some kind of showcase to show off all the games coming to it. But Sony kind of threw us a curveball this week because announced on the PlayStation blog, uh, they had the article 13 new titles and launch lineup revealed for the PSVR 2. Um, this kind of throws in a wrench into the fact that we thought that there would be a showcase that would just do this for us, mm-hmm. that would have all these games there, and we'd get like a little short trailers for all of them. But nope, here we go again. Uh, so, John, where are we at in the DEFCON level? Are we moving it up like we said last week? Or are we going to take it back now that this blog article uh, is out there? Oh, we're moving it up, baby. Yeah, we're moving it up. I, I think despite this... Uh, showing up randomly. I think all this this really tells us is that Sony is 
trying to determine what is most important right now, what information needs to be to the public most relevantly. And while PlayStation VR is exciting and it's new and it's all this stuff, it really is going to be a very small footprint in the grand scheme of their total business structure. Uh, mm -hmm. But what is not going to be a small footprint is what is coming from their first party, from the third party, from everything like that, which we still know nothing about as well. So um, I think we're moving it up because we still need all of that and we've gotten some other interesting rumors and things kind of percolating. Uh, over the past week as well. Uh, most notably for me, um, famed leaker The Snitch, who kind of rose to, I think, prominence last year. I, I think it was the Silent Hill rumors conference before that showed up, but it might have been something else. But this guy kind of has a foolproof track record of, of knowing things. And he says uh, that there is going to be a Sony third-party content conference coming here shortly or or Ooh. some sort of announcement or, you know, it might even be just a state of play. But I think we're going to be getting some stuff soon so i think we're moving it up to a three okay yeah i do want to see more hogwarts legacy and for spoken so I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, we that's know what that we need to see <laughs> we know that they'll be featured in this uh so so you said three is that where we're gonna be at i'm moving it up to three yeah okay prove me wrong Okay, yeah, we are, I mean, we're in it. I mean, we're less than a month away uh, by the time you're listening to this, or exactly a month, so it should be, we should get something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will, I will, I'm going to kind of modify, I think, what I've said on past podcasts, though, is that I think now with kind of just the landscape of everything Forspoken might come up later in the podcast I don't know if it will but that seems to be have some weird stuff going on um, Hogwarts is Harry Potter so it's just going to carry itself I don't know if you really need to dive in crazy on that I think we'll see a big something right after the VR release I think that's when we're going to get a decent amount of third party news and whatnot that's going to kind of sh outline the summer and following the rest of the year I think that's when they'll do it. Okay. All so. right. Yeah, I think yeah. I, So I'm thinking with you. I'm thinking next week would be good for a showcase. So It could be. And, like, you know, and they still – they might do the thing where it's like, hey, we're going to do a dedicated state of play for Hogwarts because, like, we want people to have all the information but not going to give you anything else. And then well, the internet will be mad again because we don't know what else is coming. But then, <laughs> again, what we should get – Hopefully something right after the PSVR VR2 comes out right. and, uh, you know, the oxygen, uh, you know, comes back from, from that announcement. So. Yeah, because I think it, it is also good to note is what else is coming to PSVR2 later this year. What is the big fall game? I mean, that's that's the hope. You know, it's, um, you know, the Vita suffered greatly, obviously, famously from not having any support from really Sony first party. VR VR one started off pretty strong, but uh, you know if you paid attention to the NPDs month in and month out, it was the same games every single month for like five years. Mm -hmm. So it, they really kind of, despite saying initially with the VR launch of VR one that they were going to support this thing better than the Vita, I'd argue that they really didn't. So here's to hoping that this is the one. It seems like the tech is there. Uh, everybody who plays it loves loves it. Call of the Mountains getting you know great buzz. Um, so hopefully that gives them enough confidence to put a little bit more behind uh, supporting this thing long term. But yeah, mm -hmm. I uh, I'm with you. We need okay. we, you know just once again we need Alex. <laughs> yeah. Alex is gonna save that machine. If Alex shows up, that's it's huge. Mm -hmm. If she doesn't, people are gonna just inherently be mad, even if it's there's other games to play. <laughs> Well, the internet being mad is, you know, never. 
<laughs> normal thing. Yeah. All right. But uh, just before we move on, any of these 13 games that they showed off, I know there's a lot of returning uh, games such as Thumper, mm-hmm. uh, Tetris. Thumper, which was one of my, uh, my uh, answers last week for hidden games. Okay. Yeah, that's true. And uh, Tetris and uh, Res was uh, also on there. So a couple of returning uh, franchises that have had normal releases are getting VR releases. And I know you I, I know you saw the What the Bat and thought that was a very entertaining and fun-looking game. It's kind of you have bats for hands and you have to cook eggs and do ridiculous things. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's probably the only one. I mean, I... So yeah, so what the bat looks to be a you know a sequel of sorts to what the golf, which is you know a, a take on a golf game where you think you're going to be hitting the ball, but then all of a sudden your character is the ball and it flies towards the <laughs> towards the pin or a car all of a sudden does like you know it's just weird golf. So um, baseball is my main sport. I love baseball. I you know just holding a bat in my hands gives me a very warm and fuzzy feeling. So uh, if I get my hands on this VR two, which Nick has told me that I will because I you know have no control mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, and um, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what have you's um, I'll probably pick that up but the only other one is maybe kayak VR just because I'm an outdoors junkie mm-hmm. like if it's a $10 experience where I can paddle around the Grand Canyon or down the Grand Canyon or I don't know could be cool but I'm sure it's not really a fun game so to speak you know what I just crossed my mind that we haven't really talked about in regards to PSVR 2 what's that is how much porn. better what porn <laughs> no. Well, yeah, of course. How much better that, That's implied. Everyone knows that. Okay. But how much better value that PlayStation Plus Extra will be yeah. with PSVR 2 thrown in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can just throw all of this stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, any of the games that aren't selling um, well at all, it's just, you know, extra extra value to say, hey, you know, you, you subscribe to this, you're going to automatically have 20 VR games at your disposal. Um, you know, maybe even do, maybe even do something like the PlayStation Essentials, um, or what was it called when they had the twenty games? It was the collection. Yeah, like hey, we're we're revamping the collection and throwing in five, you know, good VR games. Russia Blood's gonna you know throw that on there, but then again, they have to develop that again for VR two because it is such a different machine. So maybe that would be a little bit too much of a lift. But yeah, I think I think uh, they'd be crazy not to start throwing in some of these. Yeah, games I think it's a much easier pill to swallow when you're spending five hundred fifty dollars on a piece of hardware on top of what you already paid for the PS Five uh, to have this added value of PlayStation Plus Extra to you know just kind of keep your VR two library full of games to play. Yeah, I I do remember though that when VR one came out. Um, I kind of expected them to throw in a VR game every month too, and they didn't. You know, well, so there's not a lot. <laughs> right, and that's kind of the thing. You know, depending again how much they support this thing, you know, do they they don't want to get you know 75 percent of the catalog out there for free. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they'll throw some stuff on there as long as they don't you know lessen this uh, the stuff that other people who don't have VR two are getting. That would be a bad move. But right, I don't think they'd do that. All right, so are we good? DEFCON level three we're at, so yeah. be ready, people. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so moving on to the next topic, I wanted to talk about Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Um, an image of the game's menu leaked this week, 
And the main reason I want to talk about this is to rub it in John's face. What, what did I do? <laughs> what happened? In our 2023 preview, John was like, oh, why don't you have this game on your list? Like, it's from Rocksteady. You gotta, oh. you gotta, you gotta have this on this list. How is it not in your top anticipated games of the year? And I said, because I don't know what it is. And, <laughs> and this leak proves my point mm. as to what it is. So this leaked image is of the game's menu, and it looks something right out of Call of Duty Warzone. Like or Fortnite. Yep, or Fortnite or anything like that. It has the, the four main characters, Captain Boomerang, Harley Quinn, uh, King Shark, and Deadshot, uh, standing there in their Call of Duty poses. And then this is the interesting part, is the top menu. So the menu has squad, uh boy, I'm sorry. I gotta zoom in here. Enhance. <laughs> Enhance Lo- my eyes. <laughs> uh, loadout, taunts, social, battle pass, Ooh. store. Oh, fun. Codex and options. <laughs> mm. Mm. So battle pass, you say? Yeah. So battle pass. So again. This doesn't sound good. I don't think anyone listening will be like, oh, yeah, great news on all this. Because, again, it looks like a live service game as akin to a Fortnite, a Warzone, an Apex Legends. Um, and what does that mean for this game? Is like, does it ha- is it heavily multiplayer? Are there going to be, like, weekly challenges, raids, just a bunch of content to keep you coming back? Is it just going to be a grind like Destiny 2, uh, Avengers... Um, any of that like this does not look good and again I'm still gonna leave it out there that I'm I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic because it looks so good to play that's (laughs) a bummer that's that's where I was gonna go I was like I went back and watched the gameplay trailer and I'm like this just looks awesome it just looks fun and fast and uh, open world but when you see this menu and you think of how that's gonna impact how the game plays your mind goes to not great places. <laughs> it's moments like these that really kind of make me check myself and be like, am I just becoming an old man? Because <laughs> I, I just, I don't like the direction anything is heading in, man. And in video games, you know, this is just one of the biggest examples where, you know, you take this this studio who developed three of the one of the greatest video game series of all time and the reason that of course Nick that I expected this game is the answer to what's your favorite game of all time typically bounces around with Batman Arkham Asylum so you're taking this studio who developed these games not very long you know eight years ago which is a long period of time for video game development but in terms of grand scale of time not that big of a deal and we just fast forward eight years and all of a sudden it's like well we have to abandon Everything we do, single player focused, you know, full open world fun content, because it's not going to be profitable enough, because it's not going to make us enough money, because Batman himself is not a big enough character to pull in, <laughs> you know, and the amount of revenue we need to keep this thing going. So what do we have to do? Well, we need to do what's been proven from everybody else, from Epic Games, um, from these, you know, from Psionics with Rocket League battle passes, you know, to enhance co- cosmetics, to keep people coming back, and it's just so sad because it's just opportunity cost. We're taking this world-class developer, Rocksteady, some of the best in the business, and and you know, I don't know if they're chasing if they're chasing trends or what or who, you know, these people in the boardroom making these decisions. I just 
I'm tired of companies and everybody just going after money over over quality. Right. You know? That's what it, that's what everything seems. And like. we've said it before. Let these studios do what they do best, and they flourish. You know, uh, you know when we saw Bioware take a swing on Anthem, it blew up in their face because that's not what they do. And and I think if with that in that case, if you kind of go back, it's they were getting a lot of pressure from EA to do something specific, and mm-hmm. their their team didn't really want to, but they were almost backed into a corner and look what happens yeah well the experience is not there like maybe they did want to but you know like creating a live service game is not easy you know especially when you're making single player rpg games and same with you know the arkham series you know is a third person uh combat game and stuff with stealth that doesn't use guns at all and now you're having a game with four characters with guns in a giant open world swinging all around doing all kinds of crazy things like like just that alone is going to be a challenge for rocksteady this is the most ambitious project they've ever done and then now you're going to throw on that it has all these live service elements and I'm I'm just afraid that this game is going to be so grindy it's going to have levels yeah. it's going to have all the things that are just really not great um, prolonged boss fights, you know, stuff like that. I just, oh boy. You know what I've never wanted from a developer, Nick, is I've never wanted them to give me a reason to stay around in in perpetuity, ever. Right. Like, and I don't know if that's a me thing. It would almost be interesting. Like, I almost feel like I should interview my nephew. And my nephew, who is nine years old, plays Minecraft, <laughs> things like that. Like, I'd be interested to, like, show him, like, hey, I know you know what the Suicide Squad is. Check out this new game. And then ask him, how do you feel about this game having a battle pass? And just to see what his response is. Because, like, I'd be curious if he's like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Because then I can get new skins and stuff. Mm -hmm. Or if he would be like, no, I don't care. Because I just would love to know, like, are are studio executives just either horrible individuals who say, fuck them. We know what they want, but we're not going to give it to them because it doesn't line our pockets enough. Or are there a group of people out there who like genuinely, this is why they enjoy games and just really get to the bottom of it? Because as a 33 year old guy, I have never in my life come across anybody within 10 years of my age saying like sweet battle pass. It's just, (laughs) it's, 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 it's bleeding into, it was fine when it was just multiplayer games, when it was Rocket League and, and Warzone and things like that because it l- allowed things to be separate, church and state, right? And now it just seems like those lines are getting closer and closer together, and I don't like it. If, I swear to God, if like Uncharted 5 comes out, and like, yeah, we got a battle pass. I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm selling my PlayStation. Like, I'm just, I'm done. I mean, it's always great when it like adds the, the progression. Like, I think Rocket League is kind of like the best version of that is that they got the free to play progression and then the multiplayer or the, the battle pass progression. And it comes, they each have their own unique challenges and everything else. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I'm putting in 100 hours a month into Rocket League anyway. Like, this is just, you know, an added benefit, an added bonus. Like, it works. It can work. Yeah. But, boy, does Rocksteady slash Warner Brothers have a giant hill to climb now to, to, to explain this game, all of this game, which comes out in four months, and explain why it has all these live games as a service elements in it and how are they not going to take away from the single-player, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. uh, four-player co-op game, you know, like... Like I'm, I'm excited to see where they're, how they're gonna explain all this. They're gonna have to do a big, 
multi-tiered video of them explaining this. Yeah. Because this is already a, not not a great start for a game that's been often delayed and, you know, again, eight years since their last game. Yeah. It's, yeah, they have a task, man. I mean, the number one commodity out there right now, and in my opinion, for everybody, anywhere, video games are regardless, is time. And mm-hmm. there's only so much of that. And if you have these people who are... You know, addicted to Fortnite, addicted to Apex Legends, Warzone, whatever the case, it takes such a heavy lift to get them out of that ecosystem and into a new one. And, you know, as we'll discuss later with another developer or publisher, it's just, it's such a risk. And if this doesn't take off for them, like, that's eight years since Rocksteady's had a game and, and, Nobody owns them, right? Like, they're one of the rare independent... I think Warner Brothers does. Warner Brothers. Okay, Warner Brothers. So, I'm sure they would stay afloat. Warner Brothers would give them the revenue they need. It's just... If it's a miss, you know, like Hyperscape for Ubisoft, like, that can be very, very bad for a team. And and I uh, I don't know. It's just... I don't don't like the direction. But I'm an old man. So, (laughs) you know. I, I, I just hope it's... I hope there is a way to have the single player experience be good. Because yeah. I like I said earlier, I would love to play it. It looks fluid, fun, chaotic, great. Yeah, and just it makes me think of you know the the bad another bad example was you know Shadow of War, uh, the sequel to uh, Shadow of Mordor. And the same thing. They had to add you know a store and like games as a service elements to it, and it ruined the game. I mean that game reviewed worse than the the one before it. So mm. uh, we'll see. Again, I'm gonna keep an open mind on this one and. Yeah, but uh, I'm not slapping any money on this <laughs> no. game until it launches. What's and then the, I'll uh, watch. What's your? Do you have a review score in your mind? Of is it eighty again? I don't yeah, know. oh for sure. I mean, it's definitely gonna get it. Rocksteady is just so good. Like Arkham City got a ninety six. It's just like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Good man. purpose we'll wrong. See. I, yeah, you know, I, I enjoy Rocket League. I don't engage in any of that, and so maybe this could do the same. Yeah, here's hoping. All right. Well, let's move on. All right. Hold on. I don't have the list in front of me. I'm pretty sure we're talking about Ubisoft. Yeah, your boy. Your favorite Uh, publisher. My favorite publisher. All right, guys. So (laughs) as we've done a couple times in the past, you know, these deep dives into publishers, I just think Ubisoft right now is a very interesting studio to look at. They've had a lot of tumultuous years, a couple of years, and uh, it doesn't seem to be getting better to, for them. So I just did a little bit of research and kind of want to go over the history of Ubisoft a little bit and just get your thoughts, Nick, on you know what we think the direction of them or you know where they're heading and you know maybe how do we write this ship. But just wanted to kind of go back a little bit in time. So uh, bear with me. Kind of got a l- little bit to go through, but uh, starting in 1996. Uh, Ubisoft listed its initial public offering and raised $80 million in funds to help them expand the company. Within two years, they established worldwide studios in uh, Annecy, Shanghai, Montreal, and Milan. Uh, The Gamont brothers early realized that they had a lack of IP and would need to take a foothold into the U.S. market if they wanted to be successful. Uh, To help with this, in 2000, Ubisoft purchased Red Storm Entertainment, which gave them access to the ever-important Tom Clancy series of stealth and spy games which they helped usher in Ghost Recon, Rainbow Six, uh, among others. Uh, The company then did get that massive foothold in the United States with that, as well as with partnering with Microsoft to develop Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell, uh, which was initially pitched as a rival uh, game to uh, Microsoft, I'm sorry, to Sony's Metal Gear Solid franchise. 
Uh, they continue to expand and grow their portfolio of, portfolio of IP, developing hit games such as Prince of Persia, Sands of Time in 2003, as well as the cult classic Beyond Good and Evil in the same year. The company then was able to take the success of Prince of Persia and develop perhaps the most important IP in Ubisoft history, uh, certainly the most important now uh, in 2007's Assassin's Creed, which I think kind of brought on the golden era of uh, Ubisoft. Uh, in 2008, they made a deal with Tom Clancy for perpetual use of his name and intellectual property for video games and other auxiliary media, which is insane that that happened. And, <laughs> you know, I'm sure Tom Clancy is rolling around in his grave when he sees something like Tom Clancy's X Defiant. Uh, but in November of that same year, they purchased massive entertainment from Activision, which is the team that uh, spearheaded the division. You know, I think personally, I think it's their best team. Uh, in 2013, they purchased uh, the Stick of Truth for about $3 million uh, to work on that. 2011, they um, revived Rayman, made Rayman Origins, and followed that up in 2014 with Rayman Legends. Uh, they really got a strong um, you know, effort from their Ubi Art division when they, in 2014 with Valiant Hearts and Child of Light, you know, which are very different from the typical Ubisoft formula games that we have. And so, I know that only brought us to 2014, but since then we can kind of get a good picture of them, right? They've been the Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs team. And, you know, they have their Just Dances and things in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the reason that I looked into this is because we've, we've getting, gotten reports as of late that Ubisoft is canceling another three unannounced games. And this is six months after they've canceled four other games. So that's seven games that they've canceled in six months. They have announced that they need to cut 200 million pounds or dollars, I'm not sure which, honestly, but a large <laughs> sum of money um, in spending just because they're, they're far too bloated. Um, they've been battling sexual allegations. They've had a mass exodus of management at their studios, which might explain why they can't get out games in a timely manner. We just saw the delay of Skull and Bones for the seventh time, yep. which is just, you know, I don't even know what to say about that anymore. Um, <laughs> And it's just it's it's just looking bad to worse to worse. I'm you know I'm not out here to say that Ubisoft is going to die next year, but they, I do think that they are in a very bad position because one of the biggest issues that they have is they have 21,000 employees. You know they have so many people spread across so many different teams that they almost have done themselves a disservice in where they're at now because they pretty much can't be purchased by anybody. They, you know, Jeff Grubb reported a little bit ago that they actually already went through the rounds of trying to get purchased from people and they were essentially laughed out of the room because there is no way to manage that many people spread across so many teams. There are 41 different Ubisoft city teams or whatever, whatever you want to, you know, mm -hmm. Ubisoft Montreal, Ubisoft Toronto, whatever the case. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think, Nick? What do you think is the way that, you know, they could potentially, you know, start to get on the right track to fix some things, you know, because this isn't even starting to talk about the fact that Yves Gaumont, you know, kind of basically is starting to put the blame. Yves Gaumont is the CEO of Ubisoft. You know, he sent an email out saying that he's, it's, it's uh, balls in the court of the developers to get this ship righted, which obviously was not a great thing to say because most people seem to think that this is a management issue. This is a higher up issue. So what would you do, Nick, if you were in charge of trying to get Ubisoft, <laughs> you know, back kind of along the, the track they need to be? Uh, well, they grew that big because they were trying to make an Assassin's Creed game every year, which is just insanity. 12 of them a year, or yeah. 12 of them in 15 years. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I would just I would just slim down and focus on 
you know, the Sony strategy, like get two to three big releases every year. Um, you know, they they have the IPs. They got Avatar's Frontiers of Pandora, Assassin's Creed. Uh, what's their other big game they got? Star- they got Star Wars coming. You know, so they they have if those games hit, it's all about what what have you done for me lately? Uh, they can they can come back for sure. You know, those are those are big properties uh, to have, but it just sucks they got to release Skull and Bones. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of my my issue is like they've almost they've dug themselves such a hole that every time a game is announced, released, shown, and Ubisoft is on top of it, I feel like people are just automatically what you know prove it to me right skeptical right. initially and you know again i said i think massive is a good team but do you think that they need to change up this ubisoft open world formula that they've become so known I was for? Gonna, that was the next thing i was gonna Cause bring I th- up because that's the thing every time one of those like avatar shown what star wars is shown if it is another go to the watchtower to unlock the section <laughs> if it's that again i i just don't i don't know i don't i don't see that lasting no, I don't either. I think even though I, I, I love those, I love what they did. That is just, I've always been a great formula. It's being aped by so many people. Yeah, that proves that it was successful. Yeah, it was just such a great idea. Op- like open world games are fantastic. I love them. It's cool to get immersed in this giant world. But yeah, they had to change something. They it, Like it can't be just the checkbox, you know. It can't, the content has to be better, and they've been better about like with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, making those, you know, going across an open world map being better. Like the the quests are better, and another thing now I just thought about that is they gotta like, and I'm probably gonna get some hate for this is make your game smaller. Yeah, like because yeah, Assassin's Creed Valhalla out with we're not even including like the thirty expansions it got later. That's like a that was a seventy to eighty hour game for me to beat. Hmm. It doesn't need to be that long. Like it needs to be you know God of War length fifty hours, forty hours, thirty hours. You know like make your game smaller, make the world more dense and more rich, and development time will cut down because that's less writing. That's less. You know, designing a giant, giant map, it's, and then and then go from there. If you want to do expansions from smaller games, that's an easier pill to swallow. But I have not, I have no interest in touching any of the Assassin's Creed Valhalla no. expansions because I was done. Like that game was huge. I remember you being done halfway through. That. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like so. Yeah, I think you you reinvent your core franchises. And get them more condensed. Take some chances. I know when they announced all those Assassin's Creed games, you know they sounded very different. So that's a good sign. Like they're not. They don't sound all like the same kind of project. And same with like Far Cry. Like let, let's move away from these great villain performances, these super villains, and just like focus on like a great story with multiple great characters, and not have just the you know the Voss like. Everyone loved Voss, and he just took over the franchise. Like it was always about the villains, yeah. you know. And Giancarlo Esposito's great, but let's let's move the franchise forward in some unique way. And you know, I'm not a game designer. If I could write the ships of all their franchises, you know, you wouldn't be working here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and definitely bring Prince of Persia back. Like I forget, like that the third person platformer with time rewind mechanics. Yeah, like. Get someone to make that game. Well, and that's kind of that's well, <laughs> no. that's another part of like their recent problems is they've been you know working on this Prince of Persia remake, and I think they had Ubisoft uh, Pune, which is a studio in India, working on it. 
and it was so bad either yeah. you know how far behind they were or just the quality of it that they basically pulled that from them and gave it to Ubisoft Montreal who's their flagship team to work on it and it's just like if that's the way you're managing your portfolio it's just not a good not a good cadence look um, look to it but yeah I, I I agree with you I mean I kind of have I think two two main thoughts I think one thing that Ubisoft would be wise to really focus on is trying to get some narrative talent into that studio because I don't think any of their games across any of them have ever had a strong narrative and if you you know if you're going to have these these Experiences where you need people to be on the hook, where you're not just going from go to this next thing, collect these things. So, like, you need to have this narrative thread that pulls you through it. I think Odyssey was maybe as close as it got for me, where it's, you know, at least they had a pretty strong protagonist with Cassandra, but I couldn't tell you a single plot point throughout that game. <laughs> you know, besides something with her mom and dad or something, I can't really remember. Well, your brother was the bad guy. Yeah, your brother's a dick. But, you know, really you know figure out a way to because like it's almost a crime like you said with the villains of far cry that that's all they're known for that there's never been a way to weave a narrative where we're remembering it be like oh do you remember the narrative of far cry 4 it was fucking amazing or this this moment there's no moments it's just mm -hmm. like yeah here's the good villain he's a good villain and clear all the camps and let's go on right <laughs> so i think they should really focus on that and then additionally i think unfortunately what we will see is I think we are going to see a drastic downsize of the company. And, and you never want to see anybody lose their jobs, but I think that is something that they're probably really, really looking to internally. If they say that they need to cut $200 million in the next two years, well, what's the most expensive thing for any company? It's employees. Yeah. So I think first they're going to kind of do some of that, whittle down it. And you know, you're seeing with every tech company across the board right now, I think Google just laid off 12,000, Microsoft just laid off 10,000, you know, um, it's just how the how the world is right now. Everybody kind of coming off of COVID. It's just everybody overhired for COVID, and now they're kind of writing that ship. So, I think they need to do that because they're too bloated, they're too unwieldy. Get enough people to be able to focus on Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, a small Just Dance team because like that is probably one of their bigger games. Even if you know we'll never play it. Mm -hmm. Focus on that stuff and then, you know, either position yourself to be bought by somebody, maybe, you know, if you want to just kind of save the company and, and not have to worry about it or, you know, uh, not start fresh, but get your core team and then and then go from there. You can't have 41 different teams with 21,000 employees trying to have a cohesive vision forward for a company. And um, yeah. so I think. I think unfortunately we might see that and you know, hearts out to anybody losing their job and, and none, none of that's happened yet. You know, I just think that it seems like we're kind of heading down that route. Yeah. So if CEOs are sending emails to employees saying like, hey guys, you better perform or, you know. Right, and, and get your games out. And like, get your games out. <laughs> like I, I would be getting that Avatar game out. I'd have everybody working on that so I can get that out this year. Yeah, uh, and I, I have seen a lot of people like kind of question the Skull and Bones thing, be like, well, what if they're, if they're canceling so many games, like why do they believe in this thing? And one small thing to note for that is that that is being developed by Ubisoft Singapore. And from what I understand is that team received subsidies from the government of Singapore mm -hmm. for that game of, you know, with agreement that the product would be released <laughs> within a certain amount of time. So I think they, they don't have a choice with that one. And that's why, the, you know, we're seeing it be delayed for the seventh time as opposed to just canceled. But right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I like Ubisoft games. I don't love them, but 
you know, especially the Far Cry. The Far Cry games are probably my favorite of them. They're just kind of fun, you know, good good shooting mechanics and just a good world to, to drive around in. But well, they're such a meat and potato developer. Yeah. That's, I think like that's the thing is like you don't like really get like hyped for their games, but you go to it because it's comfort food. Mm-hmm. And Far Cry and Assassin's Creed are still always the best selling games. Yeah, so I just think that they would need to get away from that and kind of have the big anticipated game. You know, like like if we could go do our 2023 year preview or 2024 year preview and have some Ubisoft games in there. That that's where they should they Give need to get Rayman to. Give me Rayman again, man. <laughs> that's what I would I would love to see them revitalize their art division a little bit more and and yeah and if then they need to reinvent their formula for that to happen for what you just said to happen. Mm-hmm. They have to show the world that like hey we're not just the the open world tower team anymore right. like we have we have a new thing get hyped for it but mm-hmm. um, yeah they're 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 <laughs> in my opinion firmly in last place right now of the major publishers oh, just for just sure. of quality uh, just of you know the state of their their team so yeah what's the, what's the big gain this year from them. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah, dude. It's, yeah, it's if fun, it comes yeah. out this year, right? Uh, so that yeah, that's that's that that's why they have nothing. So yeah. Um, all right. X defiant. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. Let's let's get some happier topics going. No, I live in misery. <laughs> yes, let's do that. So what's next, John? All right, Nick. I've been playing a game lately with my son. Mm-hmm. And I'm shocked how much I'm enjoying it. Okay. And I think I'm enjoying it for one primary reason is because it's a couch co-op game. That game is Goat Simulator 3. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to talk about Goat Simulator 3. It's silliness in a bottle. Like, if you want to know anything about the game, just look at one video and you'll get it. But I wanted to see if you had any good couch co-op slash co-op memories, uh, any anything that sticks out, you know, sure. of a very fond memory experience with friends, uh, anything like that. Um, because, you know, I think especially for us quote-unquote older gamers you know that was <laughs> m- part of many of a childhood you know lots of sleepovers things like that with friends and uh, mm-hmm. yeah just you know what do you got what do you got from the co-op standpoint <laughs> well for a period of my life I lived with uh, three other roommates uh, and we were all gamers so you can imagine <laughs> oh, what a happy time that must have been every Friday Saturday was just video games like all the time was so was it beers beers and video games yeah, yeah. uh-huh okay. uh-huh yeah that's probably why I have an unhealthy relationship with drinking and playing video games because <laughs> of that time in my life like I always associate multi, especially multiplayer games call of duties and all that, like drinking and playing those games. So. Was this pre-girlfriend Nick, or was this beginning of girlfriend Nick? Uh, the one the, who I'm currently with. Yeah, this would be pre. Okay. Though we we met when I lived there. Okay. Uh, so I had a lot of good uh, good times then. Uh, so I, I do have a few highlights. One of them is being Resident Evil Five. Oh, good one. Uh, that was a co-op game, uh, and I played through it with four different people. <laughs> Like four separate playthroughs. Yeah, four wow. separate playthroughs. I got all the achievements. Uh, I could, I could play that game like blindfolded. You wow. know, like I never just, beat it. Yeah. Well, maybe we should ever, ever play the re-release because you can play it now. Well, let's let's wait and see if they remake it. They might. <laughs> I mean, who knows what they're gonna do? That's after, true. After really- I mean, I don't know if they do four or yeah, they go to five or maybe Code Veronica. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that game sticks out from that time period. Uh, Left 4 Dead mm. is another one. We played so, so much of that. And it was so fun because 
uh, in that game, you could play as the infected and just coordinating the most perfect attack and just wiping a team out. There's nothing more satisfying than that. Uh, and then I have two beat em ups also from that time period. Castle Crashers good one. is a great one. Uh, great game, you know, ushered in Xbox Live Arcade and just, man, we played so much of that. And then also Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, another great uh, beat em up. Uh, with RPG elements, and I just remember us all in a small bedroom, sitting on the couch, <laughs> sitting on a bed, playing that game. So, uh, yeah, it was good times. Is there a that world for fun. couch co-op games now? Is it, will we ever see a, ever in our lives see couch co-op games again? No. Like in a prevalent way? Um, not yeah. not at our age. That's sad. <laughs> I agree, but it's sad. <laughs> oh, it's not like we're gonna have a bunch of buddies over. It's like it's just too convenient to just hop on the PlayStation Network and play a game. Yeah, it's true. I'll, I'll be interested as my my son gets older. If like yeah, if the, he has. You know, because when we were kids, right, Halo LAN parties and things mm-hmm. like that. Obviously, you don't need to have a LAN party, but yep. yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, you know how they tackle that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You got any more? Or is that that where you're at? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's from that time period of my life. But I do have like, I did kind of divide it up to uh, another one is unique experiences. Mm-hmm. And I have It Takes Two on there. Yep, so do John I. And I. John and I played through that game together. And that was just that was just really fun. It dragged a little bit at the end. I think we were both done with it. But uh, uh, throwing the elephant off the cliff was is one of my favorite moments. Wow. Uh, wow the, <laughs> when it turned into a, an RPG and was great. Or when I was flying the plane and you were fighting on top of it. Yeah. Like just, just I've been thinking about wanting I've been thinking about that game lately. <laughs> a because I am so close to the platinum and I feel like I should I should tie that up. But yeah, it was just yeah. It was a really special I, I can't remember like going into a game and my expectations being exceeded so much uh, as that one. Like that one, I was kind of just expecting platforming and I think from the very first level when I realized that we had different mechanics yeah, yeah, to yeah. get through the level, I was like, oh, this is good. This is gonna be this is gonna be smart in the way that it does things, and, yeah. it, and it, it was more than more than I thought it would be. Yeah, definitely deserving of game of the year. Yeah, uh, and then in that same boat, I also have Portal Two. That is a great game. You know, the single player game, but then when you throw in the portal mechanics and then you have to work with another uh, robot or, you know, another person that do it, it's just, it's just great. Like, Portal 2 is an amazing game, and so you just throw another person in there and it's. Portal 2 is, yeah, top, top three best games of all time, in my opinion, so I don't, <laughs> I don't think I need to say more than that. And then, yeah, I just have two more, and I categorize them as relationship testers. <laughs> and, Overcooked. Uh, yeah, Overcooked <laughs> is in there, and Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Oh, okay. Both uh, games that require you to work together. Did you play a lot of that one? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, both games, you know, like you'll, they'll be there. I consider them girlfriend games yep. uh, because, you know, you'll sit with them. They're like, what game can we play together? And I'm like, well, the mechanics are simple enough for you who don't play games regularly to, to do this. And then for the first world, at least. Yeah. And then as it, especially in Overcooked, as it gets like further along and you're just like, God, I, I need ham or I need lettuce. Fire, fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's burning. Take it off. Take it off. Yeah. And, I, and yeah, so. Uh, Co-op games are great. There needs to be more, uh, yeah. especially like the it takes to the like catered to that shared experience. And I it's can't a, wait to what their next game is. Hazelight is awesome. Yeah, like <laughs> and in such a ballsy team, man. Like the fact that they decided that was their their initiative as a as a team was like we're developing games that 
are not you cannot play them with one person. It's like right. really okay, and then and then to do you know and obviously they had to do it this way I think to be successful, but just it's such a solid too of like the whole friend pass thing. Yeah, just go play this. You don't you have a friend? They don't have to buy it. Download it. You're good to go. Is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I might be hitting you up for it. It takes two playthrough again soon. We'll see if I you know can't control myself if I see it for twenty bucks. But all right, yeah, and, and so I obviously have a couple as well. Um, I think a lot of mine are more from the childhood era. You know, when I, when I, I never had roommates really, except for college. And college was an entire Call of Duty Modern Warfare time. Yeah. And so I can't really consider that co-op. We, we passed the sticks. Right. You know, we would just play a multiplayer match and, you know, you'd get super pissed off. So you could give it to your friend to, uh, <laughs> to do it and then, you know, get it back in a little bit. But so I don't have a ton from recent times. Um... But a lot from my childhood. And so one, one that really uh, was special to me was Crash Team Racing. Um, you know, when I was, I think, probably fourth or fifth grade, I moved to a new city. And so with all of that comes, you know, lots of trouble as a child. You just, you got new friends, you got to figure this all out. And I remember I made mm -hmm. friends with one, one guy, Mike, we'll say Mike K uh, was his name. And uh, he had a he had a, a lot of toys. I, I grew up in a pretty affluent neighborhood. I'll just say that. And so we had like arcade machines and a bowling alley in his basement and all this stuff. It's pretty affluent. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, but what we would always spend our time doing was was crash team racing. And I remember sleeping over at his house and like legit setting the alarm for 5.30 a.m. to get up in the morning to play more of the game because his parents <laughs> made us go to bed and like, no, we want to play more. And so it was, just, it was just a super fun time. I always thought Crash Team Racing was leagues and leagues better than Mario Kart, but I know I'm probably, you know, in the minority there, <laughs> yeah. so not to offend anybody, but... So it was a really big one, and um, another one, I, I'd be remiss to, to forget NFL Blitz. Um, mm -hmm. You know, NFL Blitz, whether you're a sports guy or not, is still, I think everybody just had fun in that era playing that game. Um, you know, sports to... 11, right? The most insane thing you can imagine. And in the same vein, uh, NHL Hits was just uh, the hockey version of that. It's funny, I just played NFL Blitz last weekend. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Would you go to a it retro was, arcade? Uh, it was Courtney's brother's birthday, and they had a, an N64, and they had NFL Blitz. Oh, nice. Oh, like the OG. You played the OG one. Nice. Yeah. Did you win? No. Oh, wow. It's been so long since I played. Wow, Nick. Okay. You just have to do the bomb every time and just hope yeah. that they catch it. Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, a couple small ones. Um, Super Smash Brothers, uh, the original N64 uh, version was my jam. Nick and I still to the we need to have a battle because we both claim to be the you know we were the best of our friend group, so nobody could ever obviously beat us. <laughs> but we have no idea how good we truly are because you know you always know that there's somebody out there that that is knows every tiny little thing about the game. So uh, Super Smash Brothers played a ton and ton Who of that. Who's your character again? Uh, my number one was Falcon. Uh, my number two was Pikachu. My number three was Ness. Like I could, I could, all three of them. I was really, really good with Ness, huh? Yeah, yeah he's that's a, he's a tricky player. He's tricky, and like this, I, I there was one guy that I played with all the time because he was Fox, and we would like it was just balls to the walls, adrenaline, and it was always really close, and it was, it was super fun. Um, but he learned my Falcon so well that I just couldn't use the mechanics <laughs> with him anymore, so I had to switch to Pikachu, and then he learned that one, and so I was like, all right, fuck you, I'm being Ness. Like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, I had to learn, obviously, how to do the up B to get myself back with his little, um, his little electric ball, 
But yeah, his little floaty jump just fucked with him so bad that like I could I could. It reminds me of when you play people in Soul Calibur and you're just like fucking I'm Vol- Voldo or what was oh, it? is he like the weird like yeah. knife guy? <laughs> yeah, 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 like fuck, I'm being him, and then just like nobody can predict his moves because yep. he's like walking on his <laughs> back, yep. crab walking at you and stuff. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, ne- yeah, Ness. Like, yeah, he was the ultimate fuck with you character because yeah, you could also do the uppy and then like you know it, I don't know if there's a more satisfying satisfying move in Super Smash Brothers than the be into Ness into another character. <laughs> um, maybe the Falcon Punch, but yeah. love that, love that so much. And then, you know, I, I'm not going to focus on any one game, but Sega Genesis and N64, you know, Gunstar Heroes, right? Uh, one of Nick and I's favorite games. Golden Axe, Street Fighter 2, Mortal Kombat 2. Um, and then a sh- special shout out to Wayne, Ger- Wayne Gretzky 3D Hockey uh, for N64. <laughs> uh, played a lot of that when I was a kid. Um, but... You know, it's just yeah. Those were the golden golden age days, man. I mean, gaming now is we. I love it. We love it, obviously. But I don't think you'll ever have such a pure a pure time playing something than when you're a ten year old boy with your friends, you know, um, playing a couch co op game. So yeah, well, slow slow news week. So I wanted to do a little bit of uh, <laughs> reminiscing down nostalgia lane. Sure, sure, sure. No, that was fun. Again, it's yeah. Thinking about those older games. Yeah. You know, it brings back good memories. Oh, yeah. You know, there was no battle passes back then. Uh, no, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. Nope, there was no patches back then. There was no anything back then. All right. So we can move on and do a game that we've been playing or played uh, on John's recommendation that you heard on this very podcast. I went and played What Remains of Edith Finch. Uh, this is an indie game. It is an older one. It came out back in 2017. It comes from Giant Sparrow and Annapurna Interactive. It is currently sitting at an 88 on Open Critic, so a very well-liked game. Yes. Uh, and this is a first-person game where you play as Edith Finch, a girl returning to her childhood home to discover the history of her family. Very positive history. Um, <laughs> and then this, as you find items, the story is kind of told through these little vignettes of each of the different family members and what happened to them. Uh, right off the bat, the one thing I did not like about this game, because it is a very good game. How mo- slow you move. <laughs> is that it? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I know. Because, uh, yeah, you're like in the woods and you got to walk up this you gotta walk up this path to the house and you're just like, oh my God, yep. run, yep. run. And then you feel bad later because when you find out that your character's pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, don't run. <laughs> Yeah, you shouldn't run through these woods. All right, walk walk fastly, briskly at least. Come on, like there should be something. Yeah, um, it's slow. And it's going to be hard to talk about this game without light spoilers, um, because uh, as you kind of learn the family history, uh, nothing goes well for this family. Uh, they I'm going to all- say right now, we should talk spoilers, and if you really want to play this game, just skip this part because it's okay. a two-hour game. How do you right? How right, do you talk about right, it without right, spoilers? Right. Uh, and you get, yeah, you kind of find out that each uh, person, well, it's hinted at as everyone's room is locked yes. with their, uh, their, you know, basically like a tombstone. It says yeah, their birth year and the year they die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, things aren't going to go well for these people. And uh, yeah, and at first I didn't quite pick that up, like how bad it was going to be, because the first one you play as a little girl, I think she's like 11. 
and uh, her mom didn't feed her. <laughs> and so she's eating random things. She goes into her gerbil uh, cage and eats the carrot out of there. She goes into the bathroom and eats toothpaste and weird berries and all kinds of weird stuff. And then she kind of has this like dream of being different animals. You play as an Fucking cat. tripping balls, dude. <laughs> yeah, you're playing as a cat and an owl and a sea monster and a shark. You're uh, all kinds of different weird things. And I was like, well, this game is really bizarre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't, I'm curious as to why they would start with that one because it's like kind of the most, like, it's probably the most interactive part of the game. Like, you, lots of gameplay elements are, are thrown at you in that part. Yeah. Yeah, I would maybe agree. Um, maybe the, the Lewis's part, but yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, as as you find out, as you play each of these characters, is they they all die in not great ways. All the Finch kids. <laughs> the family is cursed. Is that, That's like the family lore. Yeah. Is that the entire family's cursed. And one of the things that I just really noted is, like, a lot of these are kids. <laughs> oh, I think they're all kids, aren't they? Uh, No, not. There's Except those for are... the one who was, like, trapped himself in the basement? Yeah, yeah, he's older. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. Most of yeah, most of them are kids, and some of the ways they die are just very sad. Um, and, th- and there's Sam. Sam was the other one, the other adult that died from okay. from the deer, right? Uh, um, but yeah, they, and Lewis, of course. Um, which I don't know if you picked up on the Lewis to my Sam. That was <laughs> that's why. That's why. Yeah. I was like, I usually, I usually. But but the shocking ones are really the kid ones, and like the, little the game ones. is kind of like a it's kind of a downer on that front. When you it does it, it doesn't paint it as grisly, you know, like uh, yeah, when you're it, not you're not having a camera zoom out on a one year old drowning in a bathtub, but, right? But but you're a one year old drowning in a bathtub, <laughs> and they and they play it out in kind of like imagination, right? Is a big part of it, like. You know, as the bathtub's filling, the the you become a frog and you're swimming with all the pooled or the bathtub toys. But you know, like the kid is drowning. Like it's very that's very dark. Like about as dark as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or the kid that swings off a cliff, but they present it like you're flying. But it's like no, that kid fell off a cliff and and died. Yeah, I th- I think the right word for all of these little vignettes is whimsical. I think whimsical mm-hmm. is probably fantastical. You know, the best representation of how the game and developers try to present these horrible situations, but through this lens of it's not good. None of this is good. There's no silver linings to yeah. kids dying. But like, you know, the the kid who was on the swing and all he wanted to do, like every kid eventually thinks of at some point is, oh, can I go over the, like, can I go around the bar and come back around, like do a 360? And yeah, his parents are morons and put it next to a cliff. But, you know, as you go through, yeah, you, you yeah, once, when you launch off of the seat, you basically, yeah, you start soaring through the air or, you know, when you're the, the little girl in the beginning and you turn into a, a cat, like it's, it's all tra- like you actually transform, like you kind of see these things. And so I, I just, I think it's an incredibly unique experience, which as I'm getting older and older, like I value that more and more. Yeah. And I think it was just very well done to make this dense, compact thing. I, I honestly wish there were more games like this that are two to three hours, provide this pretty intense experience, but you leave it kind of still feeling good. Like I, I left that game, I don't know about you, and I'm a probably a darker person than you are. <laughs> I live I live in this kind of stuff, but like I, I still was like almost joyful at the end because it was presented in this way yeah and, and it does have, it does wrap it up very nicely that's kind of the, the best part is like all this death it kind of has a good message at the very end 
Um, and I won't spoil that. I'll let yeah, people sure. experience it. But yeah, and it's and it's that parents stop being so neglectful is the actual lesson. Like feed your kid at night and <laughs> don't let your kid swing off a cliff or don't leave a bathtub with your baby in it unattended. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, I don't even know how that's possible. No, that's I, have, I have one-year-old daughters. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> Business. But that is not the message. It, it wraps it up very, very well, and uh, and there are some unique uh, gameplay elements that we didn't like. The Lewis section where you're kind of controlling two different yeah, things so at once. I do want to talk about the Lewis section real quick because I think okay. it's some of the best. It, it's just so clever to me where you you play as this guy who he, he spends his days in a fish factory cutting off heads of fish. Yeah, cannery. In cannery. You know, one of, like one of the most repetitive, horrible things you can imagine, like the smell and all that stuff. And he basically has to escape in his mind where the, the scene starts off and you're basically using your thumbsticks to kind of like move fish from one side to the other, move fish from one side to the other. I think <laughs> you pull one down to chop and like you're kind of doing that maybe. The chopping's automatic. The chopping's automatic. Okay. Yeah. So maybe like 10, 15 over. times. And then a section of the screen kind of starts to go away. You still see the fish and you still see what you're doing, but it starts to have this like thought bubble looking thing, right? Where you're this little character and, and he's kind of like living his own little life and he has these this little town and little town members and it's, you know, it's cute. And then like the dream gets a little bit bigger and a little less of the fish is seen, a little more of the dream is seen. And then it kind of, it just eventually transforms into this thing where he's like the, this king of this create you know world that he's created in his mind and you're still doing the fish motions as like you're still doing this as you're like watching his vision play out in front of you on the tv and it's just while also there's this narrative happening happening about how he is trying to do anything he can to escape his boring horrible life yeah and it's just this it's voiced over by his therapist who's kind of talking about like how how he's doing better and how this world he created is making his work better and all that kind of, that kind of stuff yeah and i don't how does he die uh he sticks his head in the the cannery yeah <laughs> yes Very the same good. device that chops the fish's heads off he commits suicide yeah so yeah it, again yeah look at that like that dark dark ending but painted but presented in such a <laughs> whimsical weird like yeah creative way like I, yeah. I i i i really like this game when it came out hence the recommendation and uh probably my favorite walking sim i've ever played you know that's not my favorite of genres but no. um i think that this, i do think this game honestly i would recommend this game to any single person due to its length Mm-hmm. You know, even if you spend, you, you complete the game, you're three hours. You know, yeah. you, got, you got the platinum. Do you remember how long it took you? Very, very quickly. Yeah, I think I was very like two quickly. hours and 20 minutes. In the so. afternoon. Yeah, so. Uh, no, and again, this is the kind of indie games I like. I know a lot of people like the indie games that are recreating nostalgic games. You know, the Metroidvanias, the games that we just don't get anymore. But this is the indie games I like. The Artful Escape and, and this, where it's just like, it just it doesn't stay too long. It has a very unique experience and a very unique message at the end. But again, told, doing what video games do best and telling immersive, unique stories where you have some agency in how that story is told to you. And, and yeah, it's great. I was I was a little nervous because I came into work and I saw you know I saw I creep on Nick. I was like, oh, you played uh, yeah yeah I creep on you, bud. Whether you know it or not. Um, and I noticed he got the platinum in it, so I was like, oh cool, he played it. Let me get his opinion. And I was like, oh, what'd you think? He goes, yeah, great recommendation, John. 
child death. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> did you not like it? And I don't think I even got an answer out of you, really. No, we got interrupted. Yeah, we got interrupted, but uh, good to know that you liked it at least. Yeah, no, very good game. Cool. Very, very good game. Cool. Highly recommended. So, uh, yeah, first game I beat this year, too. So, um, nice. I like it. Nice. I like it a lot. All right, John, we can't wait any longer. Biggs, here's, the, uh, here's why we're all here. <laughs> so... Our final topic is the HBO's The Last of Us show. We will be discussing all of episode one. So if you have not seen this by now, yeah. I hate you. Yeah. Go see it. Connor, <laughs> I know you don't listen to this podcast, but we hate you. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, it just it's the talk of the internet. It's, you know, the big drama of the year. Uh, this very short year of so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great. It, it is on the heels of an HBO price increase. That's how, right. <laughs> how much they want you. They, they timed it perfectly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's let's really get into this thing. Uh, and uh, I definitely want to, like, focus on the differences because I think most of our listeners have played the game. Yeah. Um, but let's just start with the opening, because that is definitely a unique part. Uh, it opens, I believe it's 1960. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on a talk show, and he's got two, I'm going to butcher this word, epidemiologists? Epi- epidemiologists. Epidemiologists, thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about pandemics, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, getting their opinion of, of this. And as, as you would expect, they have to go into fungus. Uh, one of the guys is adamant that a fungal pandemic could occur and that we would be powerless to stop it. And everybody laughed at him, Nick. <laughs> everybody was so dismissive. How could they be so idiotic? And it's, uh, again, I think when you take away, again, and as with a show, you know, you don't have a you don't have the player. You're not picking up two hundred over two hundred collectibles to learn more about the <laughs> about collectibles, about uh, how the infection happened, about cordyceps and all that. So we're going to see this a lot in this show, and there's going to be more of these moments where the the, the show is going to be explaining what's happening and how things work uh, right in our faces like this. And it, it's still a great moment because again, it's just like this foreboding. Uh, tense thing that we know is coming. We know, you know, even if you haven't played the game, you know the show is about, you know, again, another uh, apocalypse. So, yeah, I, I think that was a, a very smart thing to do in the beginning. Um, you know, it did obviously a couple of things. The main thing, anybody who's not familiar with the material, yeah, we're, we're setting you up. This is what's going to happen. Just get a good amount of exposition out of the way. But I think it also did, you know, I think one of the other reasons that they put it in there was to, and I, I use this not as a negative, but it was like a cheap shot to kind of take advantage of obviously what we've all experienced over the past couple of years in, in this virus that, you know, really fucked with a lot of people's lives. And so I think just inherently coming out and saying the word pandemic a couple of times was probably just like a, yeah, 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 no, this is, this is bad. So if you thought mm-hmm. that our pandemic was something like, <laughs> nah, like just get ready. This is going to be way, yeah. way worse. Yeah. Um, plus it had the guy from the mummy. Like that guy's great. <laughs> you know, he's, he, every time I see that guy, he will ever forever be the brother from the mummy. <laughs> Jonathan, I think his name was. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, good way to start the show. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, from there, it it launches us right into the uh, title sequence of of the show. Uh, Very good. Very... Very HBO. Yeah. (laughs) Like any other title sequences. Again, it it uses uh, Gustavo's uh, main theme, so it's excellent, of course. Yes. And then uh, we can talk about... uh, you know, the, the before the pandemic, uh, the opening, you know, 20 minutes of the video game, 
this gets a little more expanded as uh, this before time just focuses pretty much on Sarah, played by Nico Parker, uh, Joel's daughter. Um, the camera and the story just follows her the entire time. Yeah, you would you would think that you know the first thirty five minutes of the show, you would think Sarah is the protagonist of of the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, really, really wanted you to get connected <laughs> to her. Really wanted you to you know kind of just see what type of person she is, and and I think they did a good job of illustrating you know just she's a great kid you know she yeah. she wakes her dad up you know he's his alarm's going off and he's not getting up she cooks him breakfast it's his birthday she you know although she takes money from him to get him a present she's thoughtful enough to get his watch fixed and i don't know if i i watched it again last night i don't know if you noticed it but when they're eating breakfast at the at the table in the morning mm-hmm. he's he needs to look at the time he pulls out his phone but first he slaps his wrist and he looks at his wrist and he says, there's, there's no watch there so it was kind of like a small little thing like oh he he wants his watch but he doesn't have it yeah um this show is full of breadcrumbs like that yeah yeah yeah, and you know, but you know, and showing her taking the time, you know, to spend time with her neighbor, right? Who does that? Who's who just goes and spends time with their elderly neighbor because they want company, and you know, and and go downtown to get this watch fixed. And so they really wanted to illustrate uh, because you know, yeah, obviously with what's about to happen, um, just yeah, how 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 genuine and nice she is, for, yeah, for lack of a better yeah. word. Yeah, and th- yeah, there's there's a lot of liberties taken here. Obviously, her whole journey, introduce, introduce, introducing us to the neighbors, the Adlers. Um, not in the game. Yeah, right? not in the game at all. And uh, I just want to really point out the, one of the great scenes in, the, in this section is when she's over at the Adler's house and they take care of their elderly mom, uh, who we see earlier cannot even eat. Like uh, the, the son, I, it's either the son or son-in-law, I don't know. I think it's the son and... And yeah, and it was like maybe the only comedic moment in the show. <laughs> He's trying to feed her biscuits, and of course, like again, she she's comatose pretty much. And she can barely can't even chew. Yeah, she can't eat it at all. And again, here's one of those breadcrumbs uh, that we're gonna see later pay off. Uh, is yeah, she she can't move or anything. And there's a scene when Nico goes over there, or Sarah uh, goes over there to kind of you know hang out and check in with them. Uh, she's looking at a stack of DVDs, and behind her, you can see uh, this 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 grandma just getting infected, like her face twisting and her body contorting. And it was all out of focus. So yeah, like, yeah. I didn't. I don't want to see that in focus. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, but just a very creepy, creepy scene. Uh, you know, just hinting at what's to come. And and I and I think that kind of underlies why the first thirty minutes was so effective. Is that it was pretty mundane stuff you know going shopping you know but even when she's shopping like the the clerk rushes her out be like you know hey you got to go home obviously all the the tanks and police cars and stuff but you know that that moment where she's with um where she's with her neighbors is just it's tense but she's literally just looking at videos and baking cookies with this like they did such a good job of making sure that the viewer knew what was coming but this slow burn towards it yeah 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 so great um and i don't think there are any highlights up until the infection part like the like was there anything else you wanted to touch on no i just just you know again just how how good of a relationship it seemed that joel and sarah had but also you know tommy shows up at breakfast and you know how you could tell that 
Tommy and Sarah are really good together. Joel and Tommy have a good relationship. They're joking with each other immediately and, you know, they work together and things like that. So I think the show is really trying to just frame, obviously, family and love and how those can be such a such a powerful and good thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then we get into, you know, those opening moments of when the apocalypse hits. Uh, but again, it plays out a little differently. Uh, this time, Sarah goes over to the neighbors. Because the dis- dog got out. Yep, because the dog got out and uh, discovers that uh, things aren't great over there. Uh, both of them have been attacked, uh, the, the son and the wife, and that the comatose grandma is now very mobile now and able to move around and a great highlight of how the cordyceps just can override any kind of physical and mental ailments you have and turn you into a, a, a monster. Right, you know? yeah, it's, it's almost like it first fixed her and then and then fucked her. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, you know, not, not to put it too crass, but yeah, it, it, you know, this is this thing that took over her body, you know, this decayed, decrepit body, but like, it gave her mobility again, but, you know, obviously took her mind at the same time. Mm-hmm. Not that she probably had much of one to begin with, but, uh, yeah, and this, so this is kind of the first time that we see truly what an infected looks like. You know, obviously in the first phase of infection, anybody familiar with the series knows that it progressively gets worse, but, um, you know, they they showed... The, the biggest difference, I think, in the models here versus the game is you got a very good look at their mouths, which is one of the most disturbing parts of this whole thing to me is like, yeah. you know, obviously this, the infection gets spread through biting. And so as one of the infected bites somebody, these tendril, fungus, mushroomy looking things kind of protrude out of the mouth and kind of recede back in. And it's fucking disgusting. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's really, really gross. But, you know, so it's at this point that we see the older Mrs. Adler notices no Siri the older Mrs. Adler um, you know notices that Sarah is there and obviously starts to chase her in true zombie fast zombie fashion right this is like 28 days later type zombie this isn't you know the slow moving kind and uh, you know so she runs out of the house and this is where Joel and Tommy kind of come and finally you know uh, see Sarah right and say hey get get in the truck like we gotta go and Joel is fucking fired up ready to go um, and then, obviously, at this point, the neighbor storms out of the house, which I thought was kind of a cool moment because you can – I had the subtitles on. I don't know if you watch things with subtitles, but as she ran out, she, like, fell over, and it, it said bones breaking. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's probably, like, her decrepit old lady body. Like, just right. her bones are breaking, but, again, this fungus is able to take control and, and really – and just make her move the way she needs to. But uh, it's at this moment that she charges, uh, charges Joel. Joel has a big fucking wrench in his hand, and he – does what he does to protect his family, hits her upside the head and kills her. Um, and I think it's, you know, this is obviously a really important moment because it, it shows, you know, Sarah for, I think the first time kind of like, oh shit, like this is where this is going. Dad, how could you do that? Like, this is the most messed up thing ever. You know, I don't think she really kind of obviously gets the gravity of the situation, you know, maybe just thought that Miss Adler is sick. And then at this point, knows oh no we're, we're fucking leaving my dad and my uncle are talking about going to mexico they're driving in the car away from the family um and shit really starts to pop off yeah uh and this is a lot similar to the game is the whole truck sequence as uh you know they they're driving through the fields and then eventually into town uh and things play out a little different here um a plane comes crashing out of the sky which is yeah. just insane and 
this an insane visual like just freaky as fuck like if that happened in the game it would just be just as scary mm-hmm. um and and uh i think the only other difference here is it doesn't it's not as long like i don't think the overall sequence is as long because i remember you were carrying sarah for a while and running through alleys mm-hmm. and going through all kinds of things this the sequence of events it gets right to you know the big vocal point pretty fast uh yeah so yeah the truck the truck as the plane crashes a large piece of it knocks the truck over tommy joel and sarah you know the truck's overturned they're all hurt but sarah's obviously hurt the worst she can't walk it looks like her ankle is straight up broken yeah very so, similar to the, yep, the game yep similar to the game but and so um yeah joel picks her up runs but i I think at this point is you know one of the cooler cooler moments of the show you know one infected notices them and starts to chase them and and the stunt actor did an incredible job he's jumping over counters he's running into things really showcasing just how how lost these people are but yeah this leads to uh the roughest part of the entire episode um you know nick talk about it because i'm I'm gonna cry i don't really think we need to talk about it i mean we know what happens you know she's she dies. She gets shot, and yeah, pretty much I, one for one. What happens yeah, in the game? Yeah, so I don't. I, there's not. I have nothing to add to it. I, I just got to say, I think I think um, Joel and Sarah did an incredible job at that at that part. You know, I'm not an actor. I, I can't create emotion from nothing. But <laughs> Sarah felt like she got fucking shot. She w- was screaming in pain, sc- scared, terrified, didn't know what to do. And Joel, obviously, as any father would just didn't know you know didn't know what to do besides try to comfort his daughter as best she could um but obviously she fades very fast Mm -hmm. and that's when we get our cut to 20 years later yep yep and uh we get a good scene here a really good scene uh where a kid uh and again they we're gonna get more explanation of the world uh a kid Wanders into Boston, uh, the city, as we know, where the first part of the game takes place. And uh, he comes there, and this is when we're introduced to the scanner uh, that determines whether you're infected or not. And unfortunately, this kid is infected and has to deal with the Fedra officer, you know, comforting the kid, uh, knowing that he was about to die. Um, and again, breadcrumbs because as we know that scanner is going to come back later yeah. in the episode and then just another great scene in which uh, uh, Tess and Joel are throwing bodies into a fire you know kind of doing I think it was Tess well, it was Tess no it wasn't because she was captured by Robert oh okay you know, she was... so, so him and just another lady are just throwing bodies in the fire and then we see this kid's body in the truck and of course uh, the, the lady can't do it and again, we're getting again the telegraph that Stone Cold Joel that we know uh, as players of the game. He just is like whatever, throws, yeah, throws a child's body into a fire like it's nothing, yeah. you know. And again, establishing that uh, this isn't the Joel of 20 years ago anymore. Going back to the the kid with the Fedra officer real quick, uh, it is interesting because you know Fedra. You know, besides obviously the virus, the cordyceps and things, one could argue that Fedra's the bad guys in this situation, right? You know, they're kind of like the militaristic, authoritarian, um, you know, organization that's keeping everybody, you know, from having their freedom, so to speak, right? They're who the fireflies are fighting. But 
I found it very interesting that, yeah, they, they immediately framed Fedra as this warm, compassionate kind of individual, <laughs> right? Where she's like, you know, she's talking to the kid instead of being like, yeah, kid, you're infected, get fucked, go die. You know, which like, this is this is how that world is. Like, if you've played this game, like, you know, you know that people just get shot well, in the streets. People... Well, how this plays out in the game, like how we learned about the scanner is when we were walking as Joel and a bunch of people are along a wall getting mm-hmm. scanned and the one, the second that guy shows up red, they, they pop his ass. Right. Uh, you know, and Grant, that's a guy versus a kid so maybe you know there's a difference there but I did find it interesting that they framed the potential you know quote unquote bad guys at least from the human side of things as this very yeah compassionate warm person who's saying no we'll get you all your favorite foods play as many toys as you want and like really just kind of felt for this kid as opposed to like the stone cold thing that you kind of expect so I did I did find that interesting I don't know if that's going to become a theme later you know at all or if that was just kind of a hey we're just going to make you feel a little more emotion than you may have felt yeah when we saw that in The Last of Us Part Two, is kind of humanizing, you know, the other side, yeah. and so yeah, I'd imagine the show wants to do the same because you know, you know, Fedra is a big company. Not everyone in it is horrible and out to kill everyone. So, right. you know, there is some compassion there on both sides and assholes on both sides as the real world works. You know, mm-hmm. so. So yeah, and uh, this is a moment I want to highlight the companion podcast. So HBO does have a companion podcast hosted by Troy Baker, uh, you know, who voices Joel in the video games, and he has Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin on. Um, and one of the fun little things that they noted about this particular scene is this is where the original episode one was supposed to end, mm-hmm. with with Joel throwing the body in the fire, and it was. Um, the executives of HBO that were like, no, you can't do that. Like this, <laughs> that's a horrible point to to end on. Like we, there's no hope. There's like right. people aren't gonna want to come back. Yep. So that they they wanted Ellie to be in the first episode. So that's this is an interesting note that this is where the original episode was gonna end. Um, and then is there any more parts as we move on that you wanted to highlight? We get introduced to. Uh, Bella Ramsey as Ellie uh, plays her perfectly. I, I think she plays this the sassy, uh, you know, sarcastic teenager that we that we known to come and love, and and sounds just like her. A lot of the mannerisms seem the same to me. Yeah, no, I, I think that was probably the the thing she nailed the most was like the mannerisms and whatnot. I, I will say I think I think they came out a little too strong with it, um, just because the, the very first vocalization you get from Ellie is her counting to ten and ending the count with nine and ten being "fuck you," and it's just it seemed a little <laughs> little much immediate. Granted, she's been locked up for a couple of days, so she's pissed off. But but yeah, I think she did. You know, Bella did. Um, you know. A good a good job with with Ellie. I mean, she Ellie is my favorite character. I think in video games, so it's a very very high bar. I I love her. I love Ashley Johnson's performance. I have an obsession with Ashley Johnson's voice as a whole. It's just a thing that I have. So you know, that's the one. You're excited to see her in the show. Yeah, I, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah, I know she's supposed to play Ellie's mom, so that'll obviously be a flashback. So it might be very short, but. Um, you know, she's got the steepest hill to climb, but I have no complaints so far. I think she's, you know, doing doing a definitely a commendable job. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't have too much to work with here. Uh, you know, it's just she's there, and then you know, just, just she's like chained up, and obviously uh, the same actress who uh, played Marlene 
uh, in the video game is back to play Marlene Mer- Meryl Dandridge. Mm-hmm. Merle Dandridge? I don't know. Meryl. Meryl. Okay. Meryl. Meryl. <laughs> this <laughs> 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 back. So, and every, everything's good all around. Um, uh, the next scene I want to talk about is pretty far along uh, the scene with the scanner and finding out Ellie's infected. Is there any more? That you wanted to touch upon? No, I appreciated that they kind of fleshed it out a little bit with um, with Marlene and her, I don't know, calling her lieutenants, you know, kind of explaining the scenario of like, why are we attacking all these random spots? And, mm-hmm. you know, explaining that like, no, we're doing that to distract Fedra so that we can get Ellie out, who is basically the holy grail at this point. And right. so, you know, I appreciated them fleshing that out a little bit more because I, I kind of didn't, I didn't get that as I was playing through the game. I just, yeah. you know, it was... Just thought I was escaping a city, so that was nice to see. Um, but other than that, no, I think I think we're and, probably and they do a good job of fleshing out um, Joel too, as well as not only being like a smuggler. We have a scene where he's selling uh, yeah, prescription drugs to a, a guard, and that we also get a scene where Robert is begging Tess not to seek sick Joel on him because everyone knows that he's not a guy that you fuck with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's even a great scene. I think a firefly walks up to Joel to like try and recruit him, and is just like Joel is not happy. If you tell it. me to look for the light, I'll break your fucking jaw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, so great. Like God, God, Pedro Pascal is just yeah, killing this, it. And this might be a good point to talk about the actors. I know we got a little more of the narrative to cover, but I I am so pleased with everybody. You know, mm-hmm. thus far, you know, we still have to see Bill. We still have to see a lot of other big characters, but. Um, Pedro is doing a fantastic job. Bella's great. I think one of the weird standouts, and he's not in the episode all that much, but he nails the voice and, and everything is Tommy, um, yeah. played by Gabriel Luna. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they did a great job with that. And um, Anna Torv as Tess is, you know, she's hardened, but you can tell obviously she has a lot of compassion for Joel and things, and that always obviously creates an interesting dynamic. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think they all did, you know, a very very good job as is to be expected with HBO HBO doesn't fuck yeah. with that stuff yeah yeah exactly um, and then I just wanted to highlight again a scene that plays out in the game is where they get caught by a Fedra officer and of course he makes sure they're not infected and of course Ellie comes up as infected and uh, plays out a little differently here because Joel has when the guns pointed at Joel he kind of has a, an actual flashback, like a flashback to the scene where Sarah died. And uh, this is put, that puts him in a rage where he goes and just mercilessly beats the shit out of this guy to death. Like just punches in the face over and over and over the again. The same guard he sold pills to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the cool little thing that you notice here is unlike Sarah, who was freaked out when Joel used violence, Ellie is into it oh, like yeah. she is like she's like creepily into it <laughs> yeah. like she, she has this weird thing where she kind of like comes to the side and like smirks and like has this weird look on her face and is like Ugh, yeah you like, are a fucked up little girl aren't you yeah and uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll, they're gonna play this out more um, as to why but uh, yeah I think uh, she definitely liked the idea of you know because she was very nervous before they left. Like, have you smuggled before? Have you been out the city before? And all that. And then just seeing, like, 
uh, Joel just kill a guy just like that with his bare hands. And she's like, oh, Ooh, I'm okay. This is my guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm in safe hands. Yeah. So just, just yeah, just so much great little, like like I said, breadcrumbs that are just scattered throughout the episode that have big payoffs later to, um, you know, the eagle-eyed watcher and just a lot of little nuances to the show that put it in the, the category of, the best shows, you know, and or and a Better Call Saul last year, you know, the performances yeah, let's, are there. Let's just leave Better Call Saul there. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I can't help myself. I can't help myself. <laughs> no, Andrew's good. Um, yeah, I so. mean, because that's all it's, it's being received exceptionally well. I think it has a 9.4 on IMDb right now. Granted, I'm sure that will drop. You know, right now the people that have watched it are the diehards, the people that were, you know, giddy for it from the get-go. Yeah. So, but, you know, I have not heard really any complaints um, you know, it, it's for sure is the, I, I don't think anybody at this point would argue best video game adaptation of anything ever. Um, so I'm so excited to yeah, just go on this, you know, these nine episodes and, you know, really, I can't wait to see Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal get close to one another. Like to, to where you start in this game and where you end in this game is Insane how far you go with a relationship, <laughs> and so to see that kind of gradually progress throughout the season is going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forced my wife to watch it, despite her her uh, you know much much of her chagrins. I basically just put it on, and when she was in the same room, and she ended up watching it and said she loved it. So, haha, Kylie, gotcha. <laughs> um, you know, so hopefully she watches that with me as well to have somebody else to you know who's never played the game to bounce it off on. But uh, I'm glad my instincts were right. I couldn't be more pleased. And, you know, I, as we said in the front of this discussion, if you have not watched this yet, first off, you shouldn't be listening to this right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, definitely, definitely give that a give it a watch. Yeah. It's yeah. really special. The only, the only real bummer is that we can't, we have to wait. <laughs> I hate watching shows week by week, man. I know you're kind of used to this stuff. I hate it. <laughs> I fucking hate it. I would yeah. I am much rather... Uh, you know, wait for them all to come out, and then I can watch them at my at my leisure. But I couldn't do that with this. There's no yeah, there's no fucking yeah, way. So there's just so much, so many good scenes. Um, uh, I just one more thing I wanted to in the podcast. Uh, we learned that Sony is just throwing their IPs at everybody. Yeah, that was very interesting. Uh, Craig Mazin uh, talked with you know Sony. I forget the team that's offering up all their marketing yeah whatever <laughs> and they're like well, are there any of our multiple ips like you want to make any of this and he's like well the last of us isn't on there <laughs> yeah yeah it's it sounds like they literally like had a playstation studios portfolio book and said here craig what would you like and it's like everything's on the table so i you know as much as we've seen with you know, Twisted Metal show coming and like yeah, rumors of, of Gravity Rush movies and things like that. It, it definitely, definitely explains everything. Um, what was the reason that The Last of Is because they initially wanted Neil to try and make a movie of The Last of Us and he said he couldn't do it, right? Yeah, he did say that as well. Uh, and I think it's just because Neil can, Neil's, Neil, it's Neil's baby. So yeah, he, he has carte blanche. He will let, so. yeah, he won't let other people be like, oh, show, but, show it off. But, but it was super interesting because, you know, Neil watched Chernobyl which was Craig's show um, and loved it. And Craig is inherently a Last of Us junkie, so he obviously loves Neil. <laughs> they had a mutual friend, met for lunch, and then I guess after lunch walked across to HBO, pitched the show, here we are. Yeah. So it's, it's a really funny <laughs> kind of like story to, to listen to. But Yeah, I believe the HBO exec said, yeah, Craig, show me the next show that makes you float. 
and yeah. this makes you float. So yep. we're gonna make it. Yeah. <laughs> so you should watch Chernobyl, Nick. If uh, you yeah. know, if you like this, you should check that out because that show's good too. Really, really good. <laughs> yeah. So so fantastic. Um, and then yeah, expect us to be breaking this down. Yeah. Uh, you know, week after week until this. Yeah. So episode two, I think fifty minutes. So you know, we'll probably see. You know, a lot of the journey to uh, the state capitol building, you know, if you're familiar with that. And, um, you know, yeah. maybe some little snippets here and there. But episode three is apparently another 80 minute or so, you know, she'll get a lot of Bill backstory, things like that. But Yeah. God. Can't wait. All right. So good. That is six things. Um, do we have anything else to tease for next week? Well, started Devil May Cry 5, but I not played enough to bring it. Right. Are you you're going to keep going even though the writing is ridiculous? <sighs> yeah, we'll see how far I get, but yeah, okay. I do plan on playing more. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I platinumed a little indie game called Minute. Uh, I don't think it's a big enough game to really talk about, but it's it's really cool. It, you play the game in 60-second intervals, um, so um, played that, but... No, I, I'm still, um, you know, happy to report that Elden Ring kind of has me by the hooks again, and, and it's, it's fucking wonderful, <laughs> and I love it, and I just need my family to stay away from me so that yeah. I can play it. Yeah. Um, but, no, I, I, I am looking for maybe another smaller game. I, I do like to have my big and little game going at the same time. Um, yeah. And I'm still looking at uh, Dying Light 2 and Tales of Arise sitting on my shelf. <laughs> and Cyberpunk 2077. So yeah, um, try to keep me away from busy. those, Nick, until I can beat Elden Ring. But, yeah, you know, beat we'll Elden Ring. I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, we will actually have reviews for Dead Space and for Spoken next week. So I, I definitely want to talk about those. I'm very curious where That's where That's Spoken true. That's something to up. tease for everybody. Is I, I, do, I do plan on getting Dead Space Remake, unless if it has pretty negative reviews off the bat. I'm not going to probably have it day one, but um, I am in the camp that I think Dead Space is my favorite survival horror game ever, so mm -hmm, I uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I will be playing that, I think, somewhere between Elden Ring and those other games, <laughs> those other 60-hour games yeah. that I mentioned. Yeah, John can't help himself. <laughs> I my, my eyes are bigger than my stomach. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if this table was full of food, you would have tried everything. Because mm -hmm. I'm, you know, as I was telling Nick earlier, I was uh, last night had Elden Ring on my TV, had my controller in my lap. You know, the game was going, but I had my phone in front of my face playing Into the Breach because <laughs> I can't help myself. Yeah. So yeah. I understand. Yeah. It's not all my family. It's my fault too. <laughs> but. All right, John. What song are we ending them on today? We are doing. The Uncharted 4, uh, I believe it's called Nathan Drake's Theme uh, by, mm -hmm. uh, I was going to say Hugh Jackman, Hank Jackman. <laughs> Not by Hugh Jackman. Um, you know, if you played, you played any of the Uncharted games, you know it. It's what you hear at the menu. It's awesome. Yeah, no, very great. Very iconic theme. And I can't wait to hear it for that Uncharted 5 teaser later this year that you predicted. <laughs> yeah, yep, it's going to happen. I'm sorry. I think I said Hank Jackman, Henry Jackman. <laughs> but Hank is a short name for Henry, so I'm not wrong. Okay. It's HJ. HJ. <laughs> Everyone loves HJ. Yes. HJ is great. <laughs> All right. On that very high note, we will be leaving you. We will be back next week with six more things. We love you all. Thanks for listening. See you then. Ciao. Bye-bye.